welcome back to Mooney Birth Stories. Jennifer from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan joins me on this episode to share the story of her two pregnancies and births. She opens up about her experiences with infertility, um, her unfortunate experiences with miscarriage, and how she was ultimately able to get pregnant with both of her children using IVF. Her first birth was a scheduled C-section due to her having a very rare placenta condition, and her second birth ended up being a successful VBAC. Hey, Jen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, Why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? Sure. So my name is Jen and I am a 39-year-old mother of two girls who are 18 months apart. My youngest is nine months and my oldest is two years old. I am an insurance broker by day when I'm not on mat leave. I'm also a board member to a Canadian charity called Beads of Courage Canada that supports uh, critically ill kids. And I've been uh, fundraising in some capacity for them for almost 10 years. Um, I was an avid traveler pre-baby and COVID. So I'm hoping to get back into that sometime soon. I've been to 39 countries. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm missing traveling, but we have plans to go to Hawaii soon. So I'm excited about that. Oh, yeah, that'll be nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, awesome. Okay, so what was the road like getting pregnant with your first? Well, um, I kind of go back in time to like when I met my husband, which was about six years ago, we met online. And so we were mid 30s when we met. And so, you know, we've kind of been through enough to know like pretty quickly like we were the right people for each other so we got engaged five months after meeting and yeah so you'll notice a theme that we kind of just jump on things pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah so we were engaged pretty quickly Uh, we were married in uh, January of 2018 And we knew like pretty much right from when we met each other that we wanted to start a family. So uh, we started trying like right after the wedding. And, you know, I did all of the, you know, uh, the ovulation tests and, you know, the temperature taking and like do all the things that are supposed to help. Um, I did all that and... It was about six months into trying that uh, I would just turn 35. So they say, like, if it's been six months and you're 35 to, like, go see your doctor. And I had had a feeling anyway that something was off. Like, I just, I just felt it. So I didn't waste any time and I went straight to my family doctor And uh, they referred me to the fertility clinic uh, in Saskatoon, Aurora. And we got our appointment uh, early 2019. So by the time we saw the clinic, it had been about a year of trying. And uh, so we went to the clinic and we did all our tests. And it turns out I was right. There was a problem. And 
they told us that our best bet was to do IVF. That was going to be our best bet to conceive the quickest and the easiest. And maybe if we were younger, we could try IUI, but we didn't really have a lot of time to waste. So we're like, okay, we'll just jump right into that. Why not? Mm -hmm. You're telling us that's what we need to do. We'll just, we will do it. And they had openings like right then. So as soon as my next cycle started, we were right into it. So jump right into that. And we did, oh, I did, I guess, 14 days of the stim medication. So all of the injections and whatnot. I guess I didn't do the injections to myself. My husband did. Mm-hmm. He took he took that job very seriously. And he, he, and he did a good job. <laughs> he He's a great nurse. Yeah. Yeah. So he did a good job with that. There's only a couple I needed to do to myself awkwardly in like my work bathroom. Um, so I'm glad he did most of them. Mm. <laughs> but uh, we went into it like really optimistic and feeling good about our chances because we were given decent odds and told like everything looks pretty good. So we were excited and thinking, you know, like this is going to work right away. Like, of course it is. So we did the egg retrieval and it went really well. Um, besides the fact that I could feel everything Ooh. because the, the drugs they gave me didn't work. <laughs> like they give you Ativan and fentanyl. But somehow I felt like I was completely sober. I remember everything and I could feel the needles going into my ovaries. And I was crying and they gave me more fentanyl, but it didn't work. And why? I don't know. My body just does weird things with drugs. And I've seen other people and like all of my friends that I know who have had this procedure were all super high when they got it done. So Mm. I just had a weird reaction, but it was quick. So it happened, whatever. I moved on. It was quick. So they got 13 eggs, which was a really great number. And 10 ended up fertilizing. And in the end, we ended up with seven viable embryos. Nice. Which, yeah, is a really great result. It it was awesome. Like, I know people who only get like one or two embryos, sometimes none off of a cycle. And that's, I couldn't imagine because like we were so fortunate to get seven. Mm-hmm. So All in all, everything was like pretty optimistic after that. And so I was feeling good. So we went ahead with a a fresh transfer five days later. And uh, they were talking up my embryo like it was the best embryo they had ever seen. They're like, this is the best embryo in the clinic right now. Like, it's so awesome. (laughs) And so you think it's the best embryo is for sure going to work. Yeah. Like, I don't know why they would even say that to somebody now. Like, looking back, I'm like, why would you say that to me? Mm. But they did. So we were really optimistic about this perfect-looking embryo. But uh, we do the transfer, and about six days later, 
I started bleeding. And so obviously that's heartbreaking when that starts. And I went for blood work and there was a small amount of HCG in my system. So they called it a chemical pregnancy, the very early miscarriage. It tried to attach. It did for a brief moment, but didn't stick around. So that was our perfect embryo. Um, that was hard. Mm-hmm. We cried a lot. But again, we were like, let's keep going. And we jumped into another transfer. And that was less than a month later. My next cycle started the drugs. Good to go. And that one, I started peeing on sticks like five days after. And I peed on a lot of sticks. I'm the kind of person who peed on sticks obsessively like twice a day, Mm. like watching the lines get darker. That was my obsession through this whole journey. I just peed on a lot of sticks, like hundreds of sticks, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pee sticks (laughs) involved in this story. So you did get pregnant that second cycle? I did. I got a positive on the on day five. So that was exciting. And then I went and I got my blood work on day 10 and my HCG numbers were great. They started doubling like perfectly more than doubling. Everything looked great. I told my family, we were all very excited. And then on mother's day, when I was seven weeks along, just shy of seven weeks, I started bleeding Yeah. And I called the doctor and they said, like, it could be normal. Just take it easy and like call us back in the morning and we'll see how things are in the morning. So I spent most of the night on the toilet, like obsessively wiping and like monitoring how much blood there was. Um, And then in the middle of the night, I had a big clot that I wiped, but I knew that it wasn't a clot. I could tell by looking at it that it was the the gestational sac. Mm. So I, I knew for sure at that point that I had miscarried and I didn't know what to do. Like you basically have that in your hand and what do you do? Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was just scared. I didn't want my husband to have to see what I was seeing. So eventually, you know, I just flushed down the toilet and went back to bed and cried and told my husband, like, I'm, this is, it's over. Like, it's for sure done. But that's awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It was, it sucked. I mean, it always sucks. Yeah. Any miscarriage sucks. Um, but, you know, it happens to a lot of people. It's so common. Mm-hmm. So I had called the clinic in the in the morning and told them what had happened. And they sent me for blood work. And my HCG was back at one. Oh. And so it had dropped fast. And which means that I probably had lost the pregnancy a, 
a while back, but I just didn't know. So that sucked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I knew that we were in for a long haul. Like I just felt like this was, this is just the beginning in a way it felt like. So I didn't want what had already happened to like stain what was going to happen. And so I went and I found a counselor so that, you know, I could work through the emotions of the miscarriage and the infertility and all of it. And honestly, that was one of the best things we did was find a counselor. I saw her first and then we decided to bring my husband in and then we kept seeing her together and it was really good. She gave us some really good coping strategies and kind of the courage to like continue to go forward. So that's one thing that I would recommend to anyone who is going through infertility or has had a loss is like get a counselor. It helps yeah. so much. So yeah. Then after you saw the counselor, did you guys then decide to go ahead with another attempt? Yeah. Yeah, we always like we always knew like we have seven embryos. We have to at least we have to attempt them all. And were they They're just there. putting one at a time? They were just yeah. doing one at a time at this point. So um, after that, we had some more tests. Um, I wanted to make sure there wasn't anything else going on with me that was causing miscarriages. So I had more tests and we decided to add um, some injectable uh, progesterone for the next transfer. And we ended up waiting a couple cycles and kind of getting in the headspace for it. And we transferred one more embryo on July 4th in 2019. And that one just didn't work. My HCG was negative. All of my P sticks were negative. It just didn't work. So we ended up taking the summer off part mostly because my doctor was away and they wouldn't let me talk to another doctor. I had to wait for her to come back. And that was super frustrating when you're, when you're in the midst of like trying to conceive and you, you know, it's not easy. You're going through all of these things and they won't let you talk to a doctor. Like I just wanted to know what was going to happen next. So we had to wait. And I guess in the end, whatever it happened the way it happened but I was really frustrated at the time that we we're making me wait yeah no kidding mm -hmm. so when we did see the doctor we started debating transferring two embryos and so we talked to the doctor and she told us all the risks and we talked to our counselor and I know I think we both just knew that that was the the best choice was to transfer two and that we were willing to take the risks of having twins. And so we just were like, no, this is what we want to do. And everyone was in agreement with us that if that's what we wanted to do, that's what they would do. Mm -hmm. They don't usually let you transfer to unless you have um, had losses or you've had lots of tries at it um, or age. They don't jump into it because it is higher risk. Yeah. So we talked them into it basically like, no, we want to do this. 
So we decided to transfer too. And before we did that transfer, I also had um, a scratch. So basically they went up and roughed up my, my uterus in hopes that it would help the embryo stick better. There's no clinical um, evidence to show it does help or it doesn't help. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like, well, what do we got to lose then? <laughs> yeah. Right. So we went and scratched it up in there. And <laughs> I've never heard of that. but that's Yeah. And I mean, yeah, yeah. And at that point, I was like, what is like spreading my legs to like have another procedure? Mm -hmm. Like what's another time of doing that? Like so many people have already been up in there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care. This is, you guys do whatever you want to do. <laughs> so we gave the scratch a try. And uh, we had that transfer of the two embryos on September 13th, 2019. Now, that day also happened to be Friday the 13th. It also happened to be a full moon. And there also happened to be like a uh, electrical storm that was not in the forecast. Like that was really quick. It came and it went really quick. Mm -hmm. So it was all of these like weird little things. And I'm not superstitious at all. But all of those things kind of happened on that day. And it, it's kind of funny looking back on it now. So that day we did the transfer and then five days later I started peeing on sticks and I got a positive. Um, and then 10 days later I went for my, or I guess at day 10, I went for my HCG test and it came back at 45. Now 45 is not a high number. It's pregnant, but it's not like you're super pregnant mm -hmm is kind of on the edge where they're like, oh, okay, you're pregnant, but I mean, it's kind of low. Yeah. So don't get your hopes up. So, okay. But I kept going back and it kept doubling more. Um, and so that was great. Um, we went for the ultrasound at seven weeks and we found out that one of the embryos had stuck. So I was pregnant with one baby. Um, and everything looked good. And so that was exciting, but also very scary. Like after you have losses, it's, it's always scary. No matter how good they say things look, it's scary. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were happy. So a couple weeks later, again, I had spotting and like, at this point it's like seeing blood is just like traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And as I just, uh, I was over it. And I mean, I'm just over it in general. Like it's, it wasn't fun. So I went to the doctor, they checked everything out. Everything looked, the baby looked good, but that's when they found out that I had placenta previa. So my placenta was covering my cervix and they said, you know, it's early, so it will probably move, but if it doesn't move up, then you will have to have a C-section. Okay, cool. No big deal. I'm not scared of a C-section if that's what has to happen. Cool. So we just continued on with that. At um, 10 weeks, I did the um, blood test where they do the genetic testing and you can look for um, abnormal things in the genetics, but also get the gender 
So we did a gender reveal um, after those results came back um, good. And that's when we found out that we were having a baby girl. Yeah, which I knew. I knew in my core that I was going to have a girl. Like, I just knew. So not surprised when it when it was a girl. Um, during my pregnancy, starting from, like, the very beginning, I was incredibly sick. I was puking every day. I was nauseous all the time. I couldn't eat food. Like, I honestly can't recall what I lived on because I feel like I ate nothing, maybe some crackers. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. Um, oh, it, it was so rough. And it, it feels like, it feels worse when, like, you go through all of that to get pregnant, like, everything you had to do extra, mm-hmm. and then you feel like crap. And, like, you really want to like being pregnant, but, like, you can't yeah. because, like, you feel terrible. And it didn't end. It was like that my entire pregnancy. Oh, my gosh. Did you go on medication for it or anything? I did. It helped a little bit, but like barely. So in the end, through that whole pregnancy, I lost 10 pounds because I was just sick all of the time. Oh, wow. And so it sucked. And like what I learned from that is like, it's okay. Like I would want other pregnant people to know that it's okay to hate being pregnant. Mm. Like you, even when you try really hard and like you have to go through all this stuff, fertility treatments, whatever, no matter what, it's okay to hate being pregnant and to struggle being pregnant. Like it's not fun. Totally. Like if it sucks, it sucks. It's out of your control. Yeah. And it's okay to feel that way. Like you're in you're entitled to feel that way regardless. Like you can be so happy to be having a baby, but also like absolutely hate pregnancy at the same time. Yeah, for sure. Totally possible. (laughs) Um, And how are you feeling about birth? Did you have any specific plans or hopes for your birth? Um, I, I did. Like I knew that there was a chance I was going to need a C-section at this point. So I was like, well, you know, if the placenta doesn't move, then C-section, whatever. Um, if it does move, then I had planned to like have my husband. Well, my husband was always going to be there, but then my best friend was going to be there and she was, you know, going to act as a second support. And like we had, we had plans, yeah. but I mean, things didn't go according to our plan. Um, so we had our anatomy scan at like I think it was between the 18th and 19th week. We were actually heading to Hawaii. So they did it a little bit early before we left. And I was told like everything looks good. The placenta is still hanging down low, but like there's still lots of time for it to move. Um, But they couldn't get all of the shots they needed because she was being stubborn and not surprised. She's my child. Mm. (laughs) So, uh, we we were like okay cool and then like right after that anatomy scan I ended up having some more bleeding and we ended up going to the hospital um they said you know everything looks good it's just the placenta previa probably like just take it easy no heavy lifting Um, we had asked about going to Hawaii because we were about to leave to Hawaii and they said oh it's totally fine like you're I was at the point 
in the pregnancy. Whereas if something was going to happen, it was going to happen regardless of where I was and air travel wouldn't set anything off. So we weren't at viability yet. So the doctor said, you know what, go enjoy your vacation and have fun. So we did go to Hawaii and I'm very glad that we did because we had no idea the pandemic was around the corner. <laughs> mm, yeah. So it, it was nice to get away that January before things got super crazy. Okay. So, yeah, we got back and then I had my test for um, gestational diabetes. And of course, I had gestational diabetes. So... I cried a lot about that. Like it just seemed really overwhelming at the time that I was like, why is this just another thing that's happening? And like, you could, I could barely eat as it was. And I was like, now I have to worry about what I eat when I can barely get anything in my body to begin with. So it was, it was super intimidating and scary. And like, now that I've been there and done that, like, it was fine and I controlled it well with my diet and I didn't need medication and it was fine. But at the time I was diagnosed with it, it was just super overwhelming. Um, but it all worked out. Um, but, but because we didn't get all the pictures we needed at my anatomy scan, they wanted to send me for a second anatomy scan. So my first one was not at my OB office. It was at a third party office And then, so this one is going to be at my OB office and I was, I think between 28, 29 weeks when they did it. Um, They took a while and they kept, like, they sent me back out to the waiting room and then they brought me back in to get pictures and I still wasn't thinking anything of it. Um, I I got to see the doctor right after because I had scheduled it that way and she said, you know, we couldn't get a good view of the cord. So we're just going to book you an appointment at the hospital to um, see a specialist and like get a better look at it. So I was like, okay, like my baby's just being stubborn again. I'm sure everything's fine. I didn't think anything of it. Um, so we went like the next week to the hospital appointment And that's when COVID was really starting to gear up. Um, It was kind of near the end of March and we went, we went to the hospital, but they wouldn't let my husband into the hospital. They're like, no, only the patient can go in. We're like, okay. He sat in the parking lot. I was up in the hospital waiting for my appointment and the charge nurse that day saw me sitting there by myself. And she said to me, she's like, is your husband in the parking lot? And I said, yeah, he is. She's like, you message him and tell him to come up here because you're allowed to have a support person. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 So she phoned down to security and I could hear her. She was like mad at them. She's like, (laughs) you let this man come up. She needs her husband. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I know. And like, I didn't know it at the time, but like, I'm so grateful for her. I don't even know who she is, but I'm so grateful for her because she knew that I was going to need him. She just knew somehow. So we went and we had the ultrasound and 
Then they put us in this room that I can only refer to as the bad news room because mm-hmm. it was clearly a bad news room. It was a round table with some chairs around it and a box of Kleenex in the middle of the table. Oh, God. Not even subtle. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it's clearly a bad news room. Like, why do you have Kleenex there? Obviously, you know I'm going to cry. Yeah, like, at least put some donuts there, too. <laughs> right? That would help. Yeah. <laughs> Something so, to throw you off. Oh, uh, so they put us in the bad news room, and then the doctor comes in, and like basically what she said to me was, "If you go into labor, your baby will most likely die." And what do you say to that? Like, yeah. here, here we are, gone through all of this stuff, and. You're telling me that the one thing my body is supposed to do is going to kill my baby. Like, it, w- it was mind-blowing at the time. <clears throat> so we ended up getting a diagnosis of uh, Vesa Previa. So uh, there's many different ways it can present, but the way it presented for me was that my placenta was in two pieces and it was connected together by exposed fetal vessels um, that were not protected in any way. And those vessels were going right over top of my cervix. Oh, God. Yes. So if I was to go into labor, like my water broke or had strong contractions, a baby pushed down too hard, those, uh, those vessels would burst and the baby would bleed out in a matter of minutes. (laughs) Yeah. So this is a rare condition. It's about one in 5,000 pregnancies. It's more common with IVF pregnancies. I'm not really sure the reason that is, but it is more common with IVF pregnancies. So the doctor said the, what people normally do in this case is you get admitted into the hospital um, between 30, 32 weeks. At this point, I was, I think, 31 weeks um, or 30 weeks. And she said, you know, normally I'd say we'd admit you right now, but because of COVID, like you might be more comfortable at home. Um, but you know, if you're not close to a hospital, like you don't have time if something goes wrong, but even if you're in the hospital, we might not have enough time. So maybe you'll just be more comfortable at home. And there's no way I'm going to be more comfortable at home. Like you're telling, you're telling me you would have minutes to get my baby out of me. Like I'm not, I'm, I can't be at home. So we left like with our minds blown about the whole situation and not knowing what to do and knowing that COVID was playing a factor in my care and that they didn't want to admit me because of COVID and it was, it was scary and we didn't know what to do. So I did what I would do with anything and I went home and I researched it a lot And I joined Facebook groups um, 
support groups for the condition and I read all of the stories and I read so many, so many stories about close calls where people had bleeding while they were in the hospital being monitored and they were able to get the baby out in, you know, a matter of minutes and it saved that baby's life. And I read stories where people weren't in the hospital or they didn't know they had the condition and their babies bled out oh. and they died and, or they had extreme injury. Um, so you can't read all of that and then be okay with staying at home. So I just, I, I was like, no, I need to, I need to not be at home. I mean, for me, like I'm an insurance broker, so like I manage risk yeah. and I was like, it's just too risky yeah. <laughs> to be at home. Like being in the hospital is my insurance policy. Yeah. It might not, it might not prevent something from happening, but like it's my best bet if something does happen. Totally. So I was very grateful for the diagnosis because what I learned from all my reading was that when it goes undiagnosed, it's almost always fatal. And the best way to prevent the the death of the baby is to have a diagnosis. Um, the only way to get a diagnosis is if you get a color Doppler ultrasound where they're checking the blood flow of the vessels and which ones are fetal and which one are maternal. And they do that with the color Doppler. And it's not, it's not um, something they do all the time necessarily. And I feel like it's something they should do all the time because this is the only way you can catch it. Yeah. So I'm very grateful. Like they obviously didn't catch it on my first anatomy scan. And I'm so grateful I had that second anatomy scan. Otherwise they would have never caught it. Mm -hmm. oh, so like the day she was being stubborn, thank goodness she was being stubborn. Yeah, for sure. So after reading all of that, you know, I said, I'm going to take this week. I'm going to get some stuff together at home because this was just the shocking news that happened. I immediately stopped working and went on disability. Um, and I just got some stuff together. And then at my next doctor's appointment, I said, I need to be admitted. Like, I know COVID's a thing right now, but I'm going to feel more safe in the hospital than at home. So I need to be admitted. And they said, okay you can be admitted. And I was admitted that day. And so how, how many weeks were you at this point? Like 30? Um, at that point I was almost 32 weeks when I ended up being admitted. Okay. Yeah. After all of the appointments and whatnot, I was yeah. just about 32 weeks. So I was admitted and then they scheduled my C-section for April 30th, which I would be 35 weeks in five days. So we knew like that's part of the protocol is they have to do an early C-section because they have to make sure you don't go into labor. Yeah. So they monitor the reason you're in the hospital is so they can monitor you for any signs of labor. But then they also just need to do it early just to eliminate the chance. Yeah. So that's why I was in the hospital and that's why we were planning the early section. And so, yeah, that's, that's how my plans changed. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. And then all of that, but then throw the pandemic on top of it. And it was at the time in the pandemic where no one knew what the heck was going on. It was right when like start things started to ramp up and restrictions were starting to be put in place. Like I was at the hospital um, for maybe a week, not even. And that's then when the nurses started to have to wear masks, like all the mask mandates started coming out. Yeah. Um, nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew about visitors. Nobody knew if my husband could come and then go or if he had to stay. It changed every day. Um, my husband did come every couple of days to visit me. I wasn't allowed to have any other visitors, um, which is fine. I mean, that sucks. It would have been a totally different experience if I could have had other people visit me, but I couldn't. So, you know, you make friends with the nurses and yeah. you, you just, you just make do with, with yeah. what you got. And I spent, a, I'll spend a lot of time reading and like, watching Netflix and coloring. I did a diamond painting. I went for walks a couple times every day on the floor. Um, but I pretty much was confined to the hospital um, for that about three weeks leading up to the birth. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. Like I'm just so thankful for the children the new children's hospital in Saskatoon like my experience would have been completely different if I was still in the old hospital yeah because having a room to yourself in your own bathroom when you have an extended stay is amazing so I'm just so grateful that I had the facility at the time because it would have sucked to have to share rooms with random people for like weeks on end and see people come and go with their babies like that would have been hard so I'm just so grateful for that um it's I mean it sucked I was a pretty um pretty boring patient there nothing really exciting happened in the hospital I had a little bit of spotting one day but it was nothing major um basically I just lived my life in that little room and they did vitals on me a couple times a day and checked the baby a couple times a day. And I had to have an IV pretty much the whole time, which was the worst part of it. Um, cause my veins suck and they could barely ever get IVs in there, but they had to have an emergency one in there just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a long three weeks of sitting around uh, hoping nothing bad happens. And Nothing bad did happen. We made it to my C-section day with no big complications. I'm glad that we we made it. Um, I was honestly getting tired of explaining to all of the nurses what Vesa Previa was because a lot of them had never heard of it and they were all confused as to why I was in the hospital. So mm-hmm. I had to keep... Strange <laughs> that you're to the keep... one that has to keep educating everyone. Yeah, it it was just so weird. I was like, well, you know, like this is what it is. And every time, like, had the cop have this conversation because nobody nobody understood. They all just thought I had placenta previa. Yeah. It's like no, like it's sort of, but I do have that. But also, I have yeah. asa previa. <laughs> so it was a lot of explaining myself over and over again. So I was glad when we made it to the date and like no major issues. So we go in to do the C-section and it was first thing in the morning. And, uh, 
I'm getting prepped. My husband's like off in the little dad corner they put you in. He says, he says that he thought they forgot about him because it was taking so long. He was worried they just left him in there, which they didn't. (laughs) That that was his thought while he was sitting there. And uh, they're prepping me and the the NICU team is there always for C-sections, but they also knew that the baby was early. So they had the NICU team there for her and the NICU team. I hear them say, why are we taking this baby out right now? The NICU is full. Yeah. I'm like, what? Like, why are you saying that out loud? The NICU is full. Like she's probably going to need the NICU. Why are you, why are you saying this right now? Yeah. So the then room. they Right. So then then they had to explain to the NICU team, like why we had to take the baby out and whatever. We went ahead because she needed to come out and the surgery went pretty smooth. And uh, my my firstborn daughter was born um, at 846 that morning. Uh, She was five pounds, 12 ounces and 18 inches long. And her we named her Capria Sherlyn. And yeah, she she came out screaming and like I will never forget the moment they like pushed her squishy little face into the plastic. I, I wish I had a photo of it, but like I know I'll never forget it. It was just her screaming little face like, why are you taking me out? I'm yeah. not ready for this. Aww. She was not ready. <laughs> so she was pissed off. Yeah. And I'll always remember that little pissed off face. I see it often now. (laughs) That's adorable. Yeah, my husband, you know, he went over to, you know, watch them like look her over and whatnot. And that's when I started to feel nauseous. And I didn't say anything at first. And I regret my decision not to say anything because eventually I said, like, I feel nauseous. I'm going to puke. And the anesthesiologist is like, good to know. And he like, push some drugs but like it was too late and I ended up barfing and he had to like hold the pan under my face so I'm like on the table while they're like sewing me back up and I'm vomiting and it's really weird sensation because like you can't feel your body but you're vomiting while they're stitching you up it's it's totally weird Mm -hmm. so that was fun And so my husband brings my daughter over to me and I'm busy puking in a bucket. So that was my first moments meeting my daughter. Like I'm just vomiting. Mm -hmm. That was fun. Yeah. So uh, I eventually stopped puking and uh, we finished up the surgery. And so far my daughter was seemed to be doing okay. So they let her come with me to recovery. But in recovery, it was like the most frantic 15 minutes like ever because the nurse and my husband and me were all like in this mad dash to try to get her to nurse because her blood sugars were low. So they're like, we need to get something in her. So like try to nurse her. So like I've never had a baby before. I don't know what to do. Like there's nurses awkwardly holding her and everyone's just like in this panic to try to get her to nurse. It was not going to happen, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, it's this crazy situation. And, like, she's so tiny and not ready to be out in the world. She's, she's not going to nurse. So they try to give her a bottle. She won't take a bottle of formula. 
So they're like, her blood sugars are still really low. We have to take her to the NICU. So, okay. They rush her off to the NICU and, uh, I'm just kind of left there. Like basically just had my abdomen sliced open. My boobs are out. Like everyone just like had this mad dash panic and then like took my kid. Like, and then you're alone. Mm-hmm. Like, cause my husband went with her yeah. and I was just left in recovery alone after all the drama of everything. And it was just, it was a weird feeling. I, I tried to, um, to distract myself by sending my family, like the announcements that she was born. <laughs> my husband was able to snap a couple pictures so I was able to send some photos off yeah um but but then I got wheeled back to my room like without my baby and without my husband and that was that was weird and hard and not what you expect after having a baby and you know having had a c-section like you can't walk or anything so they make you stay in your bed until the the spinal wears off and so I was stuck in a bed for like about six hours my husband did come back and like give me an update um on Capriya who we call Priya um oh that's so cute (laughs) thanks so he tells me how she's doing and that she at that point had needed breathing support as well and they were trying to get IVs into her because her blood sugar was so low, um, which they tried and tried on her. And she got poked so many times and they weren't able to get an IV um, into her. They had to do it in the umbilical cord in the end. So they had to shave her head and it, for nothing in the end. Yeah. So... Yeah, that she he showed me pictures, and I guess about six hours later, I got to go up to the NICU. Um, but I didn't get to hold her that day, so you know, I spent a lot of the time in the NICU just kind of holding her hand, um, and looking at her. Um, I also spent a lot of time pumping and hand expressing every two hours, trying to get all the colostrum. I could get for her Mm -hmm. especially because she was a preemie and like having blood sugar issues like that was my goal was to like I need to to get the good stuff for her so we spent a lot of time trying to express colostrum and uh, I mean it worked really well but like I was so weak from surgery basically my husband was doing it for me um so like he gets lots of points for like really getting in there like doing what needed to get done (laughs) Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, you know, by the second day in the hospital, I was actually starting to get like full like milk supply coming in. So I was really grateful that all our hard work on that paid off because I ended up getting a really good supply, um, which was nice for her because by day two, she was able to not need any formula and she just got breast milk. So... That was really good. Um, Yeah. So I got to hold her the next day and that was really nice. Um, It was really emotional and like 
it's hard to see your tiny little baby attached to all of that stuff. Anyone who's had a baby in the NICU knows yeah. what that feels like. It's hard. Um, but she did pretty good. Like there was a couple scary parts. And one thing that is kind of funny is that she had an apnea. So she stopped breathing briefly while I was holding her. And I mean, that part's not funny, but what's funny was I knew what to do about it because I had saw an episode of This Is Us and it happened to their baby and it showed them how to like, you just kind of rub their chest and it gets them breathing again. I remember that episode. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew what to do because of that episode. Well, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So it's kind of funny to look back on now, but, Mm -hmm. uh. Yeah, so she was in the NICU. Um, She was there for seven nights. Um, I think we struggled the most when you left her the first time. Because leaving your baby at the hospital is, like, not natural. Yeah. So, you know, we were both in tears. I think my husband was having more anxiety about it than I was. But, you know, someone had said to us that they were the most expensive and best babysitters we would ever have for her. Mm. And it's true. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. So, yeah, we we left her and uh, we came back a couple times each day. And I mean, that was hard. But, you know, you're recovering from surgery. You're going back and forth to the hospital all day long I'm trying to pump every couple of hours to to feed her um she was hot she had breathing issues blood sugar issues temperature um feeding problems um but you know she got over it all pretty quickly in that in those uh eight days she was there um and yeah, it, it was hard. It was it was crazy for me because I had kind of a full circle moment with my um, Bees of Courage um, work that I do because Bees of Courage has a NICU program. And when a baby is in the NICU, they get beads for every little milestone and procedure that happens to them. And so I had fundraised for this program for years. And I had never once thought that my own child would be receiving beads. Mm -hmm. So when the nurse came in, a nurse I knew from, you know, working with the program came in and got my, her bead strand started for her. And it, it was, it was super emotional and like super crazy that that was like so full circle with my work with the charity. So I mean, I'm so grateful she has them. I wish mm-hmm. she didn't have to have them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was it was kind of a sweet moment um, for us to get her beads and string them together. So those are very special for us. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, that was kind of her story. Um, I kind of also wanted to mention how she got her name because people always ask me all the time about her name. Mm-hmm. Um, so her name, Capria, is spelled C-A-P-R-I-A. And uh, when we were going through IVF, I always did letterboards of um, every part of the journey. So every time we did a transfer, I would have a little letterboard with the date and whatever. And 
with our frozen transfers, we had decided to refer to them kind of as Captain America because Captain America was also frozen. Mm-hmm. And and my husband's like nerdy like that. Yeah. So so we uh, have these letter boards with like Captain America themed through our transfers and Avenger themed. And so we knew that we wanted her to have a name that started with C-A-P as a subtle nod to Captain America. Yeah. And so I just Googled names that start with CAP and we came across um, Capri and then I just added the A so we could call her Priya for yeah. short. Oh, that's so but cool. That, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm also a bit of a Marvel nerd, so I really appreciate yeah. that as well. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> Good. Well, that was definitely a, a long journey, but I'm glad that she was okay in the end that like so many parts of that sound really scary. So yeah, it was. Yeah. Um. So, you know, once you guys were home and kind of settling in, how was postpartum in general for you with her? So I thought it was pretty good like it was scary to bring her home but like awesome at the same time like Mm. it was so such a long hard fight for her I guess that like bringing her home was really amazing um it sucked that it was the pandemic um because we couldn't have any visitors in our house like as per doctor's orders, no one was allowed to hold her mm-hmm. other than my husband and I for the first month of her life. Yeah. So that was hard. Um, it was sad that we kind of had to see our family from a distance, like kind of in our garage and they didn't get to hold her. Um, I think it was particularly hard on my mom who, you know, she was in the room for the birth of all of my other nieces And then she didn't even get to hold this one for like a whole month. Yeah. Oh, that would be so hard. Yeah. And I mean, after all of everything we've been through, like in your mind, you have this idea of like, you have this baby and everyone's so happy and you get to pass it around and show her off. And like, it's such a happy time, but it, it wasn't because we were in the middle of a pandemic So I didn't get any of that. I didn't get to have a baby shower because of the pandemic, like none of that. So Mm. it just felt like you got really ripped off. Yeah. Um, So we had outdoor visits with masks and whatnot for basically the whole summer. Um, So that was the hard part about it. But like at the same time, like I was so happy to have her that like, I felt happy and so so many people checked on me and the, the nurse, the health, healthy at home nurses called me like a million times to check on me, which is so good. And I'm glad they do that because lots of people need that. I was like, I'm like, I'm totally fine. Yeah. (laughs) I'm so happy. You have no idea. But yeah, yeah, it was good that someone was checking on me, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, it was, I felt really happy pretty much the whole thing. It was just the pandemic that was the problem. And I recovered. I recovered well from my C-section. Um, I mean, we had some issues with her being a preemie and having um, having some reflux problems. And 
whatnot. But like, honestly, we were just happy to have her. So like nothing could really get us down. Good. Um, so on that note, I know that your kids are pretty close in age. So mm-hmm. let's move on to um, the getting pregnant with your second. All right. So we decided like we knew we had, we felt like we needed to have them close together. At this point we had two embryos left. Um, and it took, it took a four, how many embryos? It took four. It took five embryos. Yeah. It took five embryos to get Priya. So when you it took five to get one and you only have two left, you're like, well, we better get on this because what if we have to do another round? And we knew we wanted a sibling. So we were like, the doctors want it to be 18 months apart between births. So let's make it that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we didn't tell anyone in our family um, that we were doing another transfer. We were so open with our fertility journey with like everyone, my, our families, coworkers, friends, everybody knew it was happening. So with our first, we didn't get to have a moment where we were like, yay, we're pregnant. Surprise everybody. Because everybody knew that's what we were trying to do. So we didn't tell anyone we were doing it this time so we could make it a surprise. And so we went into the transfer when Priya was about, 10 months old and I honestly didn't expect it to work like I was prepared for it to fail in my mind we were probably going to blow through those last two embryos and then be faced with a decision to do another round or not that's how I imagined it happening yeah so we did the transfer did you transfer both eggs or both embryos we just did one okay um so we just did the one and then uh Four days later after the transfer, uh, I had a dream early that morning that I was pregnant. So I wasn't planning to pee on a stick that soon, but I was like, I had this dream. I'm just going to pee on a stick. So four days after transfer, I peed on a stick and I got a really strong positive, like on an Amazon cheapy stick. And like my mind was blown. I'm like, how is this? it's only four days past. Like, how is this even a thing? So that was good. And all my lines got darker, exactly how I'd like to see them and everything was good. So I got, went for my HCG blood draw 10 days after, and it came back at three twenty nine. So that that was much higher than the 45 Priya started with. Yeah. Oh, that must've been like a bit comforting comparatively. It, It was. Oh yeah, it was. And it was like, wow, like this, this, this baby was real eager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that baby got in there like instantly and got yeah. comfy. <laughs> Climbed into your dreams. She was making it happen. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that was exciting and totally unexpected. Like I couldn't believe it. I was, I was honestly shocked, but yeah. also still like hesitant because I know what can happen. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. So, of course, at about uh, week six, I started to have significant bleeding. And it was like the bleeding was exactly the same as my miscarriage. That's how it started. So that that happened and it went on for about six hours. 
And I was convinced I had a miscarriage because, I mean, that's exactly how the last one started. So why would I think anything different? So I was feeling defeated, but the bleeding had slowed down and stopped. So in the morning, I went for blood work and the blood work came back good. My numbers were still exactly where they should be. So they're like, well, sometimes it happens. So things look good. So the next week I went for my ultrasound and uh, that's um, when they saw the baby and she was good and I guess I gave it away. She was good. Another girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And um, she had a strong heartbeat and they said that the um, bleeding was um, an SCH, so a subchorionic hematoma. Um, which is a common blood clot in pregnancy. So that's what all that drama was about. And it cleared up by my week 10 ultrasound. But I'm just annoyed in general that like it had it had to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I just have a blood free pregnancy? Yeah. Oh, so stressful. Like, right? Like, why does like, why? Yeah. Why? So that's just annoying. That's the most annoying part of this pregnancy. It was like, why did you have to do that to me, child? Yeah. <laughs> um, and were you feeling sick with this pregnancy again? Or how, how was it feeling otherwise? I was feeling better than the last one. I still felt sick, um, but I didn't puke like I puked with the first one. Um, I only had like maybe a couple bad episodes of puking. I did have bad food aversions, like everything and like all food. I just hate when I'm pregnant. Yeah. I just hate it. Food's gross. I don't want to have anything to do with food. Mm-hmm. So, but it was better. It's much, much better. Um, so yeah, we did the genetic testing again and everything came back clear. And uh, our plan, because our family didn't know about this at this point, I had kept it a secret which is hard for me to do. I'm not a secret keeper. Mm-hmm. I tell everybody everything. <laughs> so like, people don't even want to know and I'll probably tell them. Yeah. So it was hard to keep a secret. And uh, we planned, it was Priya's first birthday coming up. So our plan was for to surprise our family at Priya's first birthday. So we had our family over. We were outside because, again, it's still the pandemic, having my second pandemic baby. And uh, we were outside and our fam- our immediate family's there. And then we had some friends on a video call. We kind of told everybody, like, hey, call in at this time. We're going to sing Priya happy birthday. And so we are like, okay, we're going to sing her happy birthday. But first we have one more present for her. And we gave her one more present and it was a big sister book. Yeah. So everyone got to see that, like we were expecting it. Everyone was like so surprised. Like my mom was shocked. Yeah. She thought there was no way I could keep a secret like that. She couldn't believe it. Especially (laughs) since you were already like pretty, like decently far along at that point. Right. Because like then we told them like, oh, also, by the way, surprise, the inside of Priya's cake is the gender reveal. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. So that's when they knew like, okay, they're pretty far along, like how they know the gender already. So uh, 
And then my dad, of course, he's like, I hate this part because at this point he has had four granddaughters. He has three daughters and four granddaughters. (laughs) So he's hoping for a boy. (laughs) So he's like, I hate the gender reveal because he always wants it to be blue and it's always pink. Yeah. So, so of course the cake was pink inside so uh yeah baby number two was also a girl um and yeah everyone was excited and you know it was really awesome to have that moment because we never got to have a moment like that yeah before so I'm so glad we did it I'm so glad I pulled it off yeah yeah that's exciting. so that was fun yeah um Early on in my pregnancy, I did get diagnosed with gestational diabetes again, which was to be expected, super annoying, um, because I had to basically start eating a diabetic diet, like from the time I basically found out I was pregnant. Um, So I was getting kind of over that, but you you do what you got to do. It's not fun, but you got to do it. Um, I needed to be on metformin pretty quickly with this pregnancy because it hit me a lot harder this time around. Um, they were certain I was going to end up on insulin, but I didn't end up on insulin. So I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Yeah. And were they um, at all concerned about the placenta thing happening again? Or was that, you know, just a, a freak thing? So they thought. Yeah, it is. A, it's totally a freak thing. Um, it would be like being hit by lightning twice for it to happen again but they they of course uh checked on that like right away and like Mm -hmm. we're always checking to make sure that things were good and the first time they told me her placenta was like normal and in the right spot I was just so relieved Yeah, and it was like, oh, the doctor even said to me, she's like, how does it feel to have an uncomplicated pregnancy? (laughs) Fantastic. So this time, did you have any like now that it wasn't complicated? Did you have any specific plans for this birth or hopes? Well, at this point, like pretty much all through my pregnancy, she was presenting as breach. So the plan was to have a C-section. Um, I was like, okay, whatever. That's cool. If that's how she wants to play this, then great. I mean, I was only 18 months from my first C-section and that's the minimum they suggest to try for a vaginal birth. My doctor from the start has said I should try for a vaginal birth because I didn't get to go into labor last time. So we had no reason to believe that I couldn't handle a trial of labor. So that was going to be the plan, but then she was breech and she stayed breech the whole time. Plus I have gestational diabetes and they're telling me she's probably going to be 10 pounds. And I am getting ultrasounds like every two weeks and every single ultrasound is showing her being huge. Mm -hmm. So, okay. They're like, if she, if she happens to flip around, you can decide what you want to do. Do you want to have a vaginal birth or or you can go straight to C-section? It's totally up to you. So I was kind of just hoping she would stay breech and I wouldn't have to make a decision. Um, just because it was easier. Yeah. And so they booked me in for a C-section on November 1st. 
Um, but at my last appointment, less than a week before that date, she had flipped. And like, it's not super common for them to turn around that late in pregnancy. So I was like, oh, that little bugger, she would make me decide what to do. (laughs) So I was given the choice between the uh, trying for the VBAC or, uh, and I would be induced because of my diabetes or going for a C-section. So I talked it over with friends and family and like people's experiences with both. And I decided in the end to be induced on November 1st instead of have the C-section. So I was like, you know what? She might not be 10 pounds and, you know, I can probably do it. So, and if I can't, they'll just do a C-section. So might as well give it a shot. So they called me actually the Saturday before, which was October 30th. And they asked me if I wanted to come in early because they said they weren't busy because nobody wanted to have a Halloween baby. (laughs) And I said no, because like I had already uh, arranged my childcare for Priya and had that all figured out. So I was like, no, like I'll come in on the first. So that's what I did. I uh, went trick-or-treating with Priya uh, for the first time around families. And then the next day I went in for, went in for the induction. So I go in the morning of November 1st and we started with the fully balloon thing where they stick up there to try to open up your cervix. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had a previous C-section, they couldn't use, sometimes they'll use a drug to soften the cervix, but they can't when you um, have had a previous C-section because it increases the chance of uterine rupture. So we have to do it with a balloon. And I mean, it's not comfortable when they put it in and it takes a while for it to to get comfortable. Um but once I was in there for a while, I stopped having some cramps and it, it got comfortable in there. I didn't even notice. And uh, they're like, oh, it might just fall out on its own if you get dilated. It did not fall out on its own. It was in there for over 24 hours. They said the max it should be in there is 24 hours. But then when I hit the 24 hour mark, everyone kept having babies. Mm. So No one was available to come and get it out of me. <laughs> For like another two hours. So I'm sitting there, I'm waiting like, okay, is it like bad that this thing's still inside of me? Like, what is going on? Can someone just take this balloon out of me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But eventually someone came and they pulled it out and I was at four centimeters. So that was the magic number for me to be able to start the Pitocin. So uh, they said okay we're gonna get an IV started so we can start the Pitocin and okay they sent a student in who tries to get my IV and I knew there was no way he was going to get it but he asked me if he could try and I said well sure why not like I've been poked with enough needles in my life like what's another one mm-hmm. so I let him try and he was so grateful and it, didn't work and I knew it wouldn't because I have tiny veins but I let him I let him try and then the instructor tried and she couldn't get it in and so they had to call anesthesiology and they got my IV going so that took a bunch of time to get all that going 
So on November 2nd at about 2 p.m. is when we finally started the Pitocin. So I'd been there for like a day and a half already before we even really started getting anything going. Yeah. So I started having contractions, but I wasn't feeling them. I could only see them on the monitor. The nurses kept saying like, oh, can you feel that? Like you're having a pretty big contraction right now. Nope. Well, that's nice. So, yeah, that was nice. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I don't know what everyone's talking about. <laughs> so it wasn't easy for that long. Like, it was a few, a few hours of me not really feeling it. And uh, as they turned up the Pitocin, then I started to start to get stronger contractions and start feeling them. And the plan was always to have an epidural because... That's what the doctors had recommended because of my previous C-section. They wanted to, they just said it would be easier and faster in case of an emergency to already have that line in there. Yeah. And I mean, I don't desire being in pain. So I was like, yeah, cool, let's do it. So at around 8 p.m., I started to kind of really feel the contractions and I've always been like scared of wanting the epidural, but then not having enough time for it because I know so many people that that has happened to, yeah. in- including my sister who like ended up not having enough time for epidural. And like, I don't enjoy her story yeah. <laughs> about that. <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, no, I'm feeling some contractions. Let's go ahead and put that epidural in. So we did. Um, so I got the epidural and then the OB came in and broke my water for me. Um, and that was the weirdest thing I think I maybe ever experienced was having your water broken. It was just, I don't know what I thought it would be like, but like, I didn't expect that much fluid to come out of me. (laughs) There's a lot. (laughs) There's way more than you expect. Yeah. And then it it just keeps coming every time you have a contraction. It just keeps coming out. It just feels like you're continuously wetting your pants. Yeah. Yeah. It, okay. It's so bizarre. So bizarre. But uh kind of funny at the same time. So it it was kind of kind of cool. Um so after that, like things start after my water would broke, things started to ramp up a little more. But again, I had my epidural, so like I wasn't really noticing the contractions. Um, the nurse kept putting me in different positions with a peanut ball between my legs. Like every 30 minutes to an hour, we would switch sides or a different position or whatever it was. And my husband was trying to get some sleep and I was trying to get some sleep. And I think it was around 2 a.m. ish where the nurse said, okay, like I'm going to take you to pee. Like, do you have to pee? And I said, okay. So we go to the bathroom my husband's sleeping. I sit on the toilet. I pee and then I stand up, but I get super dizzy. And I say to my nurse, I'm like, I'm super dizzy. She's like, okay, sit back down. So I sit back down on the toilet and I said, okay, I'm going to vomit. She's like, okay. And she brings me the vomit pan and I start vomiting while I'm sitting on the toilet. Um, Apparently, no matter how I give birth, I can't do it without vomiting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I started puking and then I sat there for a while and then I started shaking. Like I was shaking so bad. It w- it was crazy. I'm like, I'm just 
shaking like the worst shivering you've ever had in your life. And I'm like, why am I shaking? She's like, it's okay. It's a good thing. Like things are probably progressing. And like, that's why you're shaking. Like it's normal. And so she gets me back into bed and I'm waking up my husband. Like, so my husband is actually deaf in one ear. And so he, he was sleeping on his good ear. So I'm like yelling at him from my bed, like Trevor, Trevor, like wake up. Yeah. I didn't, ha- I didn't have anything I could throw at him. He's just having a good sleep. He has a CPAP machine on. It's just like, he's at home. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm vomiting and shaking. <laughs> yeah. So I, I eventually wake him up and, uh, I, uh, the nurse checked me. She's like, okay, I'm going to check to see how far along you are. And uh, she checked and she's like, you're about seven centimeters. I'm like, okay. And I was telling her that my hip hurt so bad. Like I had really bad hip pain all through my pregnancy on my left hip. It was constant pain. And even to this day, I still have hip pain that I'm doing all the physio and the chiro and everything for. And it's like my hip is screwed up for the rest of my life, it feels like. But anyway, my hip was very, very sore. And I have an epidural. So it's like, how is my hip just like in so much pain right now, even though I have an epidural? Yeah. It was like sitting on a stadium bench for like, I don't know, 12 hours straight. Like it's a, it's a weird, achy, almost numb pain yeah. that happens in my hip. So I was complaining about my hip and she's like, okay, I'm going to check your epidural. So she does the ice test where they put that ice cube down your body to see like what you can feel. And uh, she keeps going up and up and up and I'm not feeling the ice. So she's like, "Um, I think your epidural is working too well. Mm. So, So she paused it and she called anesthesiology. And so they came in and they checked it too. And like, sure enough, it was like a few vertebrae higher than it should have been. Okay. So it was like up into my chest, like, but yet somehow my hip hurt, which is super annoying Mm -hmm. about like, why? So obviously when they paused my epidural, I started to feel my contractions and the crazy thing about it is that the contractions hurt, but like my hip was what was bugging me. I, I I just don't know to this day, like why my hip was, was bugging me so yeah. badly. So it sucked having the contractions, but I just, but the whole time I was like, I just feel weird. And like my hip really hurts. And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel weird. And the nurse is like, do you feel like you have pressure? Like you need to poop? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. <laughs> And not much time had passed since she checked me and I was seven centimeters. Yeah. So she's like, I just checked you like, you know, but you know, we'll call OB um, anyway and uh, see what they say. So she called for an OB and they were just finishing up a C-section. So they were there maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes later. Um, anesthesiology came and, uh, started my epidural back up with a lower dose, which I'm grateful that he arrived when he did 
because as soon as OB came in and checked me, she was like, you're 10 centimeters. Wow. It happened so fast. Quickly. Yeah. It did. So that was like maybe about 3 a.m. So it maybe been an hour uh, where all this happened. Mm. Um, so OB came in and she's like, okay, like you're 10 centimeters. So let's like try a practice push and like see like if you're ready. So I do a little practice push and she's like, oh yeah, like you're moving her down. Like let's get started on pushing. So they came and the, like the team set up the pushing, whatever they changed the bed and get you ready for pushing. And that was at about three fifteen. And the nurse said, "Like, okay, so do you know uh, how to do this?" Like, I'm like, no. Like, I was expecting to have a C-section. I didn't do any research on how I'm supposed to push a baby out of me. Mm-hmm. So she's like, okay, this is how you do it. And she tells me how to do it. I give it a go. And then they're like, oh, you're really good at that. Yeah. Great. So I'm really good at pushing. So that was good. And then the attending doctor comes in and everyone else is like, you just missed like the best round of pushing. And I'm like, don't worry, guys, I'll do it again. (laughs) I've got more left in me. Yeah, like yeah. you ain't seen nothing yet. It's it's gonna happen. And so I was pushing for about 30 minutes. And uh honestly, I started getting hungry like halfway through pushing, and I was so hungry that I just wanted to have the baby so I could eat. Oh well that's that's <laughs> a pretty good motivator. It is. So I was like trying extra hard because I'm like, I'm so starving at this point. I just need to eat. So I just need to get this baby out. So in 30 minutes, I pushed her out. And yeah, so that was really awesome. So at 3.43 a.m. on November 3rd, uh, Evelina Dale was born. And we call her... Thanks. We call her Lena for short. (laughs) And she was only seven pounds, seven ounces. Of course. 21 inches long, but basically the size of a perfectly average baby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which Um, I am so happy about. For sure. (laughs) Uh, And what was it like right after she came out? You know, especially in contrast to having a C-section the first time. It was so amazing. Like, honestly, I almost I almost feel bad because it's like one of the best moments of my life. And like, I didn't get to have that experience with my first. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't say that about my first. And it makes me a little bit sad. But it was so magical, like having her like just put on your chest right away. And like, it was such a difference from the first time. And it, it felt so healing. And it was so nice to snuggle her right away and have her on me just laying there for an hour she latched right away like it was just such a contrast and it it was so amazing um it was so peaceful and like I can just explain it like the rest of the world just stopped and like we were just like in this happy bubble even though like you're not because like you're also delivering a placenta Mm -hmm. which mine came out pretty easy but then I was also getting carefully sewn up by my doctors Mm. (laughs) 
so like you're you're in this magical bubble with your baby on your chest but like down below like they're stitching you up (laughs) there's headlamps and gloves yeah so it's it's really funny when you think of it that way and like I could every once in a while I'd hear them say something about where they were going to place a stitch Mm -hmm. I'm like what happened down there (laughs) yeah you're like that's future me's problem (laughs) right yeah and in the end I did have a second degree tear so that's what they were fixing yeah Um, but yeah, so that was just a mad, the most magical hour of my life. Um, and I'm so grateful that I decided to try for the VBAC. Um, it was just the best decision I ever made was to go for it. I'm so glad I did it. Um, so yeah, that was cool. And then like, they took her away from me after an hour to measure her and like do all their checks and whatnot. And then gave her to my husband and then took me to have a shower while I was having my shower. My husband said it was the craziest thing he ever seen. Like the cleanup crew. He said was absolutely oh. the craziest thing <laughs> he's ever seen. Yeah. My husband said the same thing. They're like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, he's a, he was like magic, like fairies came in and cleaned the room. And then you come out of the shower and it's like spotless and brand new. Yeah, it's so crazy. So then, yeah, you get, you're all clean and new clothes, new bed. Everything is perfect and clean. And yeah, Maybe. then it was just, it was, it was just great. It actually felt magical. And so, you know, after I get cleaned up, I tried to nurse her a bit, a little bit and, I actually had some frozen colostrum that I had collected um, a few weeks prior. Um, so I was also able to give her some of that. Like, I just want to make sure she had enough, uh, especially having diabetes. Like, you, there can be blood sugar problems with babies born um, with diabetes. So um, I was so happy I collected colostrum before, and that just gave me peace of mind. Yeah. And so that was great. And then, you know, we just got some sleep and everything was relaxed. And my sister came to visit me the next day. And it was just a really great experience. Um, I mean, besides the part where we then got a call where my furnace had stopped working in my house. Oh, geez. But I mean, that was minor, right? So. My mom was there with Priya and she just snuggled her at night with extra blankets and they made it through the night fine with a space heater and the company came the very next morning to fix it because we called and we're like, we're bringing home a newborn. Yeah. This needs to be fixed right now. So Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole experience was very different and uh, very good. And I feel like just the perfect end to our whole journey, like we're done. We're not planning to have any more. I feel like I'm just over being pregnant. I absolutely hate being pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's totally worth it. Don't get me wrong, but like being pregnant sucks yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. I know lots of people love it and like have magical pregnancies. And I have friends who are like, I didn't even notice I was pregnant, but like, not for, for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, how was no, postpartum like this time? Was it good as well? Happy bubble again? Yeah, you know, it was, I, I was scared, um, of having two babies under two. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we found that, uh, we got our groove pretty quickly and you know, I have a husband who is a good help and Priya is very much a daddy's girl. So 
she didn't mind that I was hanging out with a new baby because she had her daddy. So that helped a lot. Um, Recovery sucked because, I mean, nothing is going to be good about getting torn up down there. Um, But it was still better than a C-section would have been, um, especially with a toddler. Oh, for sure. So I'm, I'm so glad that I went the way that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but we easily, I think kind of found our rhythm. Like, I don't want to say it was completely easy because there's always going to be trials and crazy moments and babies not sleeping. And, but I think for me, like it all just kind of fades into the background because we're just so happy to, you know, have what we have. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Um, okay. So, Thinking back to your first pregnancy, um, what would you say was your number one fear about birth, kind of independent of uh, the complications that ended up happening? All right. So before I knew everything that was going to happen to me, um, I think my biggest fear was the unknown. I'm someone who likes to have a plan. So I was always kind of uh, scared of the uncontrolled variables Mm -hmm. um, that can happen with birth because there's so many, so many things can go wrong and so many things are unexpected. So um, I was scared of that. And like, funnily, funny enough, like nothing went as planned Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all. Like zero things went according to plan other than like ending up with a baby. So with number two, I didn't even bother to have a plan. Really, I was like, it's going to happen how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that changed me a little bit, you know, like so, as someone who always liked to have a plan. I mean, I still do, but like, I think I'm more flexible now. For sure. I think kids in general make us kind of have to <laughs> go yes. in that direction of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, what was there any particular aspect of birth that you were most excited about again, kind of prior to knowing what was going to happen or finding out what was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, through all of it, the thing I was most excited about was for those babies to get out and for me to see what they look like. I just wanted to know what their faces looked like. So that was like my biggest thing. And that moment you first lay eyes on them is just so special. So I was excited for that. And of course, Priya came out the exact copy of her dad, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like in every single way. She was just her dad. Everybody said it from the moment she was born. She looks exactly like Trevor, like the whole time. So when, when Lena was born, um, she does look like Priya. So she looks a lot like Trevor, but she has the chubby cheeks and the head full of hair that I was born with. Mm So she looks more like me. Yeah, (laughs) an even split. Um, Yeah. And what is one piece of advice that you would give a first-time parent uh, who's going to be experiencing their birth? Um, Kind of what we sort of already talked about, about having a plan. Like, it's cool to have a plan, um, but I think you have to go into your plan with an open mind that plans change. Mm -hmm. Um, they, and they can change at any point in your pregnancy and delivery. Um, so just be prepared for that. And it's disappointing to not have things go as planned, but in the end, the goal is to have a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to do what you got to do, but 
and listen to your care team, but also like advocate for yourself, um, on what you feel is best. Like I did when I knew I needed to be admitted to the hospital cause that was going to be what was best for me. Yeah. So you sure. have to, you have to stick to your gun sometimes, but you also have to like go with the flow. Um, and honestly, I can say having done it both ways, there is no great way to get a baby out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, a C-section and a vaginal birth are hard and they hurt in different ways, but they like they both have their pros and they both have their cons. But either way, like no matter how you birth a baby, you're still an absolute badass because mm-hmm. birthing babies is amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Um and then lastly, what did you think was going to be going to be the most challenging part of the postpartum period um, and what actually turned out to be the most challenging part for you? So for me, I think I thought it was going to be just most difficult to take care of a baby. I mean, I had babysat and like dealt with babies and stuff my whole life. But at this point, I was like an older mom. So it had been a while since I really had babies in my life. So I was just worried about taking care of the baby. And you always worry about doing the right thing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I thought that was going to be difficult. But in the end, it came really natural to me. And I really didn't need to be worried about it. I mean, everything that I went through to get my babies was harder in every single way than taking care of and loving my babies. Mm -hmm. Well, that's nice. Was there an aspect that did surprise you and that you found a bit harder then? I mean, the the hardest part about it was the pandemic. I mean, (laughs) No one expected that. Like yeah. when I went into having babies, it wasn't on a, on the radar. Yeah. And then I ended up having two pandemic babies. So I think the hardest part, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a pandemic thing, but for me, I think was managing everyone else's expectations, yeah. you know, while trying to keep your family safe. Yeah. You know, there's always new germs when it comes to new babies, but like everyone around you, friends, family have expectations um, about being around your baby. So you you kind of learn how to, uh, you know, put your family first in the way that you have. You just got to. Yeah. And some people might be upset about it, <laughs> but you do what you got to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. It was a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thank you for having me.